Hello and welcome into Coach's Corner, episode 7. It is Tuesday, July 19th. And we got a little bit of news here. With the All-Star Game, we got some free agency I want to talk about, touch on the different sports, what we have, players we have left. Uh, We have some funny news regarding a certain former MVP point guard. And we do have a follow-up from discussions about realignment. A couple conferences decided to talk it out and decided to do nothing. So we will get to that as the show progresses. So let's go. And I welcome you into Coach's Corner. Like I said, it is Tuesday. I am your host, Lucas Kochevar, and it is a pleasure to have you in. And typically, as as I've done in the past, I've saved all the MLB news for the last part, so that way we can get into some scores about the games and everything. But I want to start off this show with a major issue that I have with the MLB. All-Star game. And that is the decision to start Clayton Kershaw as the starter for the NL team. And the AL team is um, Shane McClellan, who pitches for the Rays, who's been lights out all year. No issues with that. Very deserving player. But Clayton Kershaw getting the nod over multiple pitchers that really deserved it. And now, listen, I get it. He's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. Plays for LA, which is where the All-Star Game is being held. And it's a very cool nod to see for, like I said, a living legend in Clayton Kershaw. However... You cannot tell me that Clayton Kershaw deserves to start over names like Sandy Alcantara, Max Freed, multiple... Well, Max Freed isn't playing. Corbin Burns isn't playing. Both the guys would be deserving. Tony Gonsolin. Like, Clayton Kershaw isn't even the best LA pitcher on the All-Star team. That guy is Tony Gonsolin quite easily. And you can tell me all you want. Oh, like I said, Kershaw's a Dodger legend. He, you know, might be his final year with the Dodgers. He might not be in the Dodgers blue again to start the All-Star game. But if I listed off this stat line, 130.1 innings pitched with a 1.73 ERA. Now, I feel like you're inclined to say that's a pretty good little stat line. However, um, that guy is not starting in the All-Star game. For reference, Clayton Kershaw has thrown 71.2 innings. Sandy Alcantara has thrown 138.1 innings this season. That seems like a pretty good little stat line, if I do say so myself, for one of those guys. 
you might be able to picture that Clayton Kershaw is the guy that has thrown half of the innings that Alcantara has done. A 1.76 to a 2.13. It's just, it's laughable how you have Kershaw as the starter over Alcantara when the thing is, being an all-star is great, and really you're all kind of on level with each other, but there's something different about being the starter, the first guy that comes out on the mound in an all-star game that really is just, I think, a special feeling for someone, especially who's having a Cy Young-level season, and it's his first like real time blowing up on the scene. I think that kind of does sting a little bit where it's like, Man, I've played half. I like I've played double of what this guy has done. It's not like Kershaw's even like really like been the same Kershaw we've seen in the past. He hasn't been that guy. He's been really good, but hence he's why he's an All Star. But let's be real here. Like, come on now. I think it's a very laughable offense. And I would be hurt if I was Sandy, just simply because, I mean, it just feels it just feels wrong. I mean, it just does. But you can't blame Clayton Kershaw. It's kind of a, it's a decision that is made. And, I, I mean, I think it was, I think a lot of what was, like, picked throughout this weekend was kind of just based on, like, principle, not what should be right. Because, I mean, Brian Snicker is the manager since he, you know, won the NL pennant. And he chose Davey Martinez on his staff because he didn't get to be on the all-star team after the Nationals won because of COVID. And we know the Nationals shouldn't, like, outside of Juan Soto, no Nationals should be near the all-star game. But their manager is because Brian Snicker is a good human being and we'll do something like that pick up Davey Martinez to come to the all-star weekend when he didn't get the chance due to COVID canceling that all-star game I say all that because I mean like I said it's Brian Snicker's decision but that doesn't make it right I think it really is an injustice to a great pitcher but I in in the end if he wins the Cy Young then I think all can be forgiven on to a little bit of a lighter topic the Home Run Derby happened, and oh man, I could not have gotten that more wrong. That was just, that was a master class performance from me, your boy, to pick two guys that would not even get out of the first round <laughs> in the championship, and the guy who I was originally going to pick ends up winning it. Um, but starting off, Julio Rodriguez, the, I believe, favorite for AL Rookie of the Year, he beats Corey Seager. He hit 32 home runs, an absolute, you know, bomber. Great, great for the game to see young star like Julio Rodriguez, you know, the next, I say the next generation, like we still don't have super young, talented superstars, but Rodriguez is a, the young guy kind of coming up right now, I think, in that next little guys to make that jump to superstardom level. Rodriguez Really put on a good show. Um, Albert Pujols beats Kyle Schwarber, who I once again had in my final. 
Um, Alberts shocked everyone because Kyle kind of crapped the bed and managed to not beat Albert. They go to overtime, and Albert ends up winning that. So good for the old timer, but God, that was a misread by me. I thought I thought he would just hit a ton, but he ended up doing a whole lot of nothing. That's a shame. Juan Soto beat Jose Ramirez, and you know I said that was kind of an underrated one, but I should have realized. Juan Soto is that guy. He was always gonna, he was always gonna beat Jose Ramirez, and Pete Alonso beat Ronald Acuna. Now I didn't get to tune into the all the the home run derby due to being at work. However, I heard that um, Ronald Acuna's guy throwing the BP to him was essentially Cy Young reincarnated, and he was throwing off speed and <laughs> he was throwing sliders down and away. And so I think Ronald Acuna, and I had a couple of my friends tell me it's just like he wasn't good. He just didn't look right. The timing didn't look right. But he's better in a game. And I think it was an interesting thing because I think there are certain like all-star festivities throughout MLB and the like NBA stuff where these guys, like Ronald Acuna can hit absolute bombs in like games and I think he's just more set up for that where in a home run derby I don't think he is as I don't think he is you know used to that kind of setting and that kind of scenario of just having to hit the ball a billion times I mean like I said they're professionals but I think there is a difference when it's a scenario like that similar to NBA weekend where some of the best shooters of all time playing in the three-point contest like end up not being perfect. Like Steph Curry lost several times before he finally broke through and won a couple. Trey Young has not performed well at all in three-point contests. We know how good of a shooter he is, but like in game he's a much better guy off the dribble than he is picking the ball off from a rack and shooting it. And I think that goes for a lot of guys who do participate in that. Like they look incredible in Kyle Corver. Kyle Corver, I don't think he's a catch and shoot guy. I don't think he's ever really he's never really has looked like he's been in a rhythm, except for maybe early days in Philadelphia, just shooting the ball from coming off the rack. But, you know, I think just some guys are built for that kind of scenario. And I think like Pete Alonzo, the guy who beat Ronald Acuna, is a guy who's built for this kind of scenario. I think he has a good thought of pro- that, that thought process about it. I mean, he is the back-to-back champ. Kind of hard to beat that. But nonetheless, that was my little sidebar on that. The second round saw Julio Rodriguez beat Pete Alonso. Another shocker, kind of a little bit of an upset with the rookie beating the two-time champ. Spoils three-peat. And then Juan Soto manages to finish off Albert Pujols. And then in the finals, Juan Soto... Earns his money. We talked about him recently trying to get some. And looks like he will add on some money probably due to this performance because he ends up winning it all over Julio Rodriguez. $500 million man. Looked pretty good. Despite the trade rumors and getting questioned about it during the All-Star game, he looked really good hitting the ball really far. And like I said, some guys are just kind of like built like that and are professional hitters, like professional hitters. 
Juan Soto is a professional hitter. And so that was the home run derby. I think that's always a fun, you know, always a fun kind of thing to watch go through. It's one of the highlights. It's fun to see like all the betting lines for it because Ooh, man, I talk about free money. A sports book during any All-Star game, like weekend, free money. Free, absolute money. Just people trying to pick these winners, especially if they try and put a parlay in. Insane that they would, but people do it. And so also ESPN's showing The Captain, which is supposed to be a seven-part series on Derek Jeter, a 30 for 30, kind of similar to The Last Dance. Don't get me wrong, Derek Jeter's a fine player, but Derek Jeter getting seven episodes for a series seems like just a lot. <laughs> like, it just seems like a... It just seems like a ridiculous amount. I mean... When we talk about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan transcends sports. He is well-known in many facets. Now, the documentary is mainly on sports, but MJ was the biggest human being on Earth for a good 10-year stretch, if not more. Derek Jeter, I don't think, is that transcendent at all. I mean, imagine if Derek Jeter played for Baltimore his entire career. It had the same achievements, or if he played for Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, and did like kind of the same things he did with the Yankees. I I mean I don't think he would get seven part series. I'm gonna be honest. I, frankly, I don't think he would get that kind of recognition. And like I said, I don't I don't have any issues with Derek Jeter. I think he is slightly overrated because of the brand and team he played for, and also he stayed with them forever. But, you know, I, th- I think it's just very interesting that we got this type of documentary. I would have been way more interested in, like, an A-Rod documentary. Like, I think Alex Rodriguez has a far more interesting career. And, I mean, I'm sure, like, I think I saw a story that they kind of touch on how the, the you know, forever friends kind of turn into slightly bitter enemies. But I, I'm sure they're better now. But... Still, I think they're going to touch on A-Rod, but I feel like a seven-part A-Rod documentary or seven-part Big Poppy documentary, like, you know, something something around the lines of that would be just way more interesting. Barry Bonds, I mean, seriously, come on. It's just, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting thing that ESPN's doing, but... On to some NBA... You know, not no stories happening, straight up, nothing happening in the NBA world. I think everyone's still, like, it's insane how we are waiting for Kevin Durant to be traded, for the rest of free agency to move on along. But that's what we're doing. That is currently what we're doing. There's reports saying that Kyrie Irving might not go anywhere, which I find extremely interesting. But, I mean... Kyrie's this is a very wishy-washy type of player, and it wouldn't surprise me if at first he was, you know, was thinking like, man, I want to get out of here. But now it's like, maybe I want to just stay. I mean, what, what does it hurt for me to stay here? What, what, who, who's going to be mad if I just stay here and just play basketball for a year? Because, I mean, now, now he won't be missing half the year 
with at least the vaccine status, now with the injuries, who knows if anything happens during the year. But now he really can have a full season under his belt of just playing basketball for the Brooklyn Nets. And with without KD, I'm sure he is content either way. He'd be happier with KD, but, you know, I mean, I just find that very interesting from the Nets' perspective that if they do decide to keep him, how they would kind of, like, spin that, how he would work out. But I find that just watching the Nets, un, like, unravel over this past year has been one of the more shocking things. And they really have done that, but... Like I said, waiting on all that, but some NBA free agents that I noticed I thought were notable guys still around. Carmelo Anthony, the future Hall of Famer, came off the bench for the Lakers last year, and I thought he was, you know, one of the lone bright spots of that team. Now he hasn't signed back with the Lakers. I hope he doesn't because I would like Carmelo to be anywhere else. But, I mean, I think he might just because of the comfort level with being with LeBron, he'll still be coming off the bench. I can't see a better scenario for him. I mean, unless he obviously goes and joins a contender. Which, now, I'm, I'm not saying the Warriors should, but if the Warriors added Carmelo Anthony off the bench or something and replaced some uh, Bielitsa minutes, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that at all. I mean, the Suns, you know, what the Suns have to lose by gathering a guy for off the bench there that can score. I don't I think a lot of good teams should be in on Carmelo Anthony and he should get a fair shot, maybe a shot at the title before he heads out. Because he is 38. I believe he's coming out his 38 year season because he came in with LeBron and D Wade back in 2003. Legend of the game, legend of a score, I think obviously will be in the Hall of Fame. It's the NBA Hall of Fame so joke, but I think he'd be deserving regardless, especially if Tracy McGrady's in. I think they're similar career guys. Dennis Schroeder, former everywhere. He's played everywhere. He's, I think it was last on the Houston Rockets. He got traded there, I believe. Um, I, I think he's an interesting candidate to be picked up by a team like the Bucks, maybe? I don't know, because I mean, he's made legitimate contributions to teams before. It's just, like, on the Lakers, he kind of ruined his reputation by just not being good. (laughs) He just wasn't good at basketball, and he turned down, like, a multi-million dollar a year deal, ends up taking a gamble, loses everything on it, kind of bounces around, and now he finds himself in an interesting position in his career where might be better if he just takes a year off either training or going overseas, something. I don't think he necessarily needs to be on the NBA team this year, but I think Dennis Schroeder can still be a contributor, at least off the bench for someone. The young guy who I think is really interesting to take a flyer on, Colin Sexton. Now, Multiple, I think, good teams like the Mavericks and the Heat have kind of been interested in Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton was in the same draft class as Trey Young and company. Obviously, the Cavaliers drafted him, but they also drafted Darius Garland to try and do a small guard duo. And Garland was obviously the star last year. And Sexton really couldn't, you know, 
he got hurt, so obviously he was out, but he wasn't able to ever get to the level that Garland was last year. And so Colin Sexton is a very interesting player to be on the market. I, I would think that the Mavericks should be all over that, especially since they lost Jalen Brunson. They need a guy to come in and at least fill in the guard hole that doesn't need to be ball dominant like Luka. I mean, he needs the ball, but he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't crave it as bad as Luka does. Colin Sexton to the Mavericks makes a ton of sense to me. I think the Cavs will miss him, but like I said, they're, they can move forward with Darius Garland, who they just paid a lot of money this offseason. I love him, love his game, so I wouldn't hate it either way. And the Cavaliers also unveiled new uniforms, and I gotta say, they are very plain. Not bad, just very plain. They just didn't do anything. And as someone who loves the gaudy 90s jerseys of giant pictures on the jersey, like, it really was sad to see that the Cavaliers kind of went to a more simple but modern look. Interesting move, but not a big fan, but not a big hater. Montrez Harrell, he, um, Montrez Harrell's the next name. He was a former six man of the year, actually. Played for the Lakers, ruined his rep, kind of his locker room head case. And now he's kind of struggling to find, like, kind of his footing on a team that's, like, good. Because, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of been bouncing around the league. Was a part of a trade to Washington that sent Russ to L.A. I think he played for the Charlotte Hornets towards the end of last year. And, yeah, like I said, now finds himself kind of in a weird spot where doesn't really know where he's going to be. Marcus Aldridge, a former All-Star, he's, he's up there in age. I don't know if he'll sign on somewhere if he'll just kind of silently retire i think he might take a go at it on a one of these contender teams and demarcus cousins who i think had a really good year last year off the bench for the nuggets and i think the nuggets have like replaced him kind of with some different moves they did but i mean demarcus cousins like i said i think was as good as you can ask for a backup center especially for a team that kind of prioritizes playmaking centers Marcus Cousins, I think, was a really good, good player last year and should contribute for whoever decides to, you know, get him. Um, the Bucks would be an interesting choice. He did sign a ten day and played for them for a little bit at the beginning of last year, but found himself gone and, all, like I said, finished out with the Nuggets. He's not the same player he once was. Former All Star, best center of the league, I think, during his least little run there with the Kings. But after blowing out his Achilles, tearing his ACL, he's just kind of a shell of himself. But even then, like I said, I think he last year kind of figured out something where he really kind of was the DeMarcus Cousins that we kind of remember, but to a lesser extent. And so, you know, I, I was mentioning the Montrez Harold Russell Westbrook kind of swap that they did with a couple other players involved. And that brings me to the story that delighted me so much when I saw it. Now, I'll start off by saying Russell Westbrook is one of my favorite players I've ever seen play basketball. 
simply just based off the fact I think he does give a ton of heart. He cares a lot about basketball, and he's just a constant spark plug with so many highlights. And his 2017 season was one of the best like displays of basketball I've seen from a player on a team that really wasn't that good, but he drugged them to the playoffs and won that MVP. But Russell Westbrook is cooked. Russell Westbrook is just... It's not even that he's cooked, like, as in he's bad, like, athletically, or it's like he's lost a step. He's, like, lost his shooting. He's never had shooting. He doesn't play defense anymore. And so he's really a shell of his former self, which is so... Seeing an MVP level player go from that to what he is now, which is just not an effective basketball player in today's age, is just one of the sadder things that I've ever watched. Because, like I said, he was a player that I think, I, like, it's one of those, I think he had the heart of Michael Jordan, maybe not to the extent, but like, as much as a player can for today's era. Now, there's a lot of talk about today's era with these players that are really like wishy-washy and they move from team to team. There's no like real pride in what they do. They never want to stay anywhere and they just kind of skip town. But Russell Westbrook didn't do that when Kevin Durant left him to go to Golden State. Russell Westbrook resented that. He hated that. And so he staked his claim in OKC. And that next year, the one year that he was without KD and before Paul George, he won the MVP averaging a triple-double, something that hasn't been done since Oscar Robinson. It's just, it was it was an unbelievable you know, performance. And it really, the exclamation point was when he got the record-breaking triple-double in Denver and it was near the end of the season because it was a long season, and so he needed to obviously break the record. And he ends up hitting a buzzer-beater three while also having the record-breaking triple-double to beat Denver, knock them out of the playoffs, secure, clinch their playoffs. And it was just and it was an unbelievable highlight just because of what it meant for his season. It was the highlight of his season and it really it really just capped off, like I said, a historic season. And he averaged a triple double multiple seasons afterwards, but to do it that first time was just it was a special display of basketball from a player that will be in the Hall of Fame one year, despite being very controversial and very not, I'd say, well-loved by a lot of NBA media people and fans for these past couple of years because he has been so dreadful. He just had, like I said, has not been the same player. And it came out that he fired his agent, which he had had since he was 17 years old. So he had had this agent for a long time. And the agent thought he should stay from the Lakers and Honestly, that led to a bigger disagreement because he ended up firing him. So, a very interesting saga to what's 
been a tough road for Russell Westbrook these past couple years. And I just, I wanted to bring it up because, (laughs) because Spurs rookie um, who came from Baylor, I can't remember his name, but he was doing like some sort of game like um, charades or something or, it was some sort of game. And basically the guy was giving hints and he had to guess the player. And the Spurs were, one guy gave a hint where it's like, it was, the word was triple doubles. And the guy said Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook gets a lot of triple doubles. But the rookie's first response was bricks. <laughs> and so as someone who is being called Russell Westbrook, I could understand the confusion but man, it's very tough. It's a very, very tough scene to say that about Russell Westbrook, who, like I said, has been a legend. But alas, he just can't escape these jokes that he's been subject to by getting called Russell Westbrook by so many people, including you know big media guys and like. 10 year olds that play on Twitter and Facebook. So shout out to Russ. I I hope that he figures out. I hope he finds peace. (laughs) I'd say that much. I don't think he's going to figure out the basketball thing. I do think the game is just past him. He's just, he needs to focus on what he can do well and at least pay attention on defense a little bit. However, it's just, you know, He's in his 30s. It might be a little bit closer to his time than he'd like, but alas, shout out to Russell Westbrook. And so to transition, we're going to do, we're going to finish up with some football news here. Like I said, you know, running through the sports here, not a whole lot happening. Um, I do want to say real quick, Better Call Saul. I just watched the last episode. That is the best television program on TV right now, and it's about to not be because it's closing out. It's this final season. But, man, this Monday episode, it's like they just find ways to tuck on your heartstrings and have this tension where it's crazy because the show is built before Breaking Bad, which is also my favorite show ever. And Better Call Saul finds a way to have this tension and this real, like, you know, you like don't know what's going to happen despite you already know the characters. You already know what happens to them in the end, but it's before. And so you still are like on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen. So I want to shout out that show. Incredible performances from Bob Odenkirk and Ray Seahorn, both playing the main characters. Absolutely phenomenal work. Fantastic show. Recommend it 10 out of 10. So I want to talk some football here to finish out the show. Not a major show. Like I said, not. we're going to be grasping at some straws here until we get some football, at least like games being played and get back from All-Star break for MLB. But some cool college you know, news I want to drop. Big 12 and Pac-12 decide to not partner together, won't, you know, come together in any you know talks about acquiring teams right now i think a lot can change over an off season or even a year however at this moment no movement for the big 12 and pac 12 
And I, I'll tell you what, if the if the Big 12 would have snagged some of those Pac-12 schools, which like I said, I would still rule it out. If they could have done that, that would have been a huge boost for them. And they're still getting some good teams. We've talked about them before in the past, but that would have really nailed nailed home the point of, you know, we're going to be the next conference outside of the Big Ten at SEC. I think that would have been a big get for them to get, like, Oregon, Utah, um, the Arizona school, like the likes of those schools, I, you know, kind of owning the from Texas to the West, I think would have been a pretty nice get for them, especially to kind of, you know, just hold open, like hold over those Western markets, TV markets. Cause like I said, it all comes back to TV deals, but they still, like I said, I still think it'll happen. I still think at least like the Arizona schools in Colorado will join. Like I'm, fairly convinced in that that's purely a guess but i found that to be an interesting development that we got kind of late here tonight another news from a big 12 school and i think this is i think this is a cool thing in the nil world i think nil is something that's been a very big hot topic but i'm all in favor for it because i mean if you're in a billion dollar industry like college football is the workers should be getting paid for it in some sense and you can tell me the scholarships matter whatever but the scholarships are only a small fraction of what these kids could be making and you know it's it's it's, i think it's a simple capitalism thing where you want to get paid what you're worth and i don't think these guys are getting paid what they're worth through just the scholarship money. Like imagine like you see all the big numbers that are being thrown out now. Some of it is ridiculous. Like when you were not playing any real meaningful football and getting a million dollars, it is pretty garbage. But then you do get guys, you know, just like in co- I'll go over to college basketball. Oscar Tishibi, who came from Africa, you know, found his way, just started playing basketball not too long ago. Like he didn't grow up with it. And his family he comes from, I don't think he comes from a, you know, a, a wealthy family that sent him to private school and he could play AAU everywhere. You know, he finds himself getting a massive deal after winning. Like he, he manages to find himself getting Porsche endorsements from the Kentucky school there after winning player of the year. And I mean, one player of the year. So, I mean, he, he does deserve to get paid for that if, you know, he, he led Kentucky, one of the biggest schools that generates, like I said, millions of dollars for that school and that program. It's just simple. I mean, it's just simple. We see it in the pro leagues now. The college leagues are the exact same, except it just wasn't as open and for the kids as it is now. Now this is, I think this is a cool story that I saw going back to the big 12 and football, Texas tech football players are receiving a one year, $25,000 renewable NIL deals from the Matador club, a donor collective, all 85 scholarship players and 15 of the top walk-ons are eligible in return. Players are expected to complete local community service. Now, Texas Tech football isn't any, you know, Texas or Oklahoma, obviously, or not even Baylor. 
However, they're a football program, and football in Texas is huge, and they're a Texas school. So obviously they have enough donors and money there in Texas to have the ability to pay these players at least $25,000. All 85 and walk-ons are eligible. So kids get money for their work because they put in the hours. To put to be football players, you have to put in the hours, and they do that. And in return, all they ask for is completing local community service, which is, I think, more than reasonable ask of these players. Just spend a little bit more time outside of your craft and practice and school. And just help out the community just a bit. And here you can get paid for your services of bringing entertainment to our school, our students, our you know parents and alumni. I think it's a great deal. I'm all for it. Like I said, I think it's just it's a simple it's a simple concept. You get paid for putting in the work, and I think they've put in the work. And the Texas Tech players get a chance at doing that. And I really do appreciate that donor collective. I mean, it's really, I think, a cool thing for the kids. And they get to help out the community. I think it's a win-win. I don't I don't see how anyone can be anti-NIL and then look at that story and be like, yeah, it's still bad. Or like that, like it's bad on them. Like, I don't see how that can be a thing. Now, I'm open to talk about it. I'm open to discuss it, but I think it is pretty shut and close. Like, come on now. So, going to the pro levels, I want to talk some NFL free agents. Now, training camp is about to kick off. And training camp, you know, comes with some injuries. Training camp, you know, I've any of these preseason games, they all come with a little bit of injuries that do happen because... You know, they are putting their bodies through rigorous activities. And so I think this is kind of when you'll see some of these free agents get signed on to places to either replace injuries or you'll see some of your guys that aren't good and you might need to upgrade that position. And so a couple of the guys that I want to talk about, Odell Beckham Jr. Now, OBJ, like I said, burst onto the scene in 2016 with the Giants in his rookie year, 2015, one of those two years. Burst onto the scene and was a generational type of player for his time. Then unfortunately due to some injuries, some tough QB play, I guess you can say, in Cleveland, found himself on the Rams. And on the Rams, he ended up winning a Super Bowl. But in route to the Super Bowl and being a dominant force in that first half and probably going to be the MVP, he did tear his ACL. Now, torn ACL is dear, like not nearly as much of a death sentence as it typically was like 10 years ago. But it is still something you have to recover from. And a guy who has dealt with it before has to recover, I'd say, probably equally as hard. And OBJ is a very interesting case where now he's, he's because I mean, it was in the Super Bowl, so it's late in the season. It wasn't like early on, so he'll be back by training camp. He's likely going to be out here for a little bit of the beginning, like beginning of the season. He might not even make it back till like the end of the season. 
So I'm very interested to see where he decides to sign. I think the New England Patriots is there's some interest there, and the Patriots have have long needed a good receiver. Not even just like great. They need they've needed good receivers. So that's an interesting spot. I think Green Bay's an obvious one of those spots. The Ravens, I think. The Ravens would be a great fit. I think that would be a perfect fit. The, the Ravens, outside of Rashad Bateman, who is still very young and not proven, they're not good. It's very mediocre, kind of like guys, young guys that, like I said, are unproven. Bateman has played well, and I think is a tier above the rest of his supporting cast, but even besides him, they are not proven at all. Especially for a guy in his contract year, and Lamar Jackson, who needs good receivers to throw to to you know win you games. It's really quite that simple. And so OBJ might be a guy who comes in later and helps kind of mesh together that passing game with the running game they already have there in Baltimore. Dwayne Brown, who played for the Seahawks, was really good on the Texans, but was good on the Seahawks too. He's a little bit older, but... Dwayne Brown is a name where you could see him popping up if a team needs to replace a tackle. J.C. Treader is another offensive lineman who's like a guard. I wouldn't mind seeing the Falcons sign, but regardless, J.C. Treader has had multiple good years in his past. I think he's a well-established vet in this league. Deserves a shot. Um, Trey Flowers. Now, Trey Flowers played for the Patriots. And frankly, was really good there. He was played his role nearly to perfection. However, he signed with the Lions once he got out of his con. Like in his contract here, he signed with the Lions because, you know, he got paid that bag. He got paid that bag, but he did not live up to that contract whatsoever. So he finds himself in free agency again. I think the Patriots have a good tendency of not overpaying their own guys and then paying overpaying other people's guys. But in the end, they always seem to come back to the Patriots. So I'm just saying, speaking of former Patriots, Dante Hightower, I think he's been a cornerstone of the Patriots ever since he was drafted. But he's a free agent, not signed to anywhere. Another guy, I think he's probably just comfortable in New England. I think he's... I don't know if he's like a Hall of Fame level player, but I think Dante Howard Tower is one of the more underappreciated players in the league for the past multiple, multiple years. And it would shock me if he just decided to be comfortable and stay in New England. Um, Staying in the AFC East, um, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders both played for the Bills last year. And the Bills decided to go younger with some guys they have in-house with Gabriel Davis and Isaiah McKenzie to step up in the roles that those two older guys played. But Cole Beasley, I think, is still a very effective slot guy. Emmanuel Sanders, I think, could be also a very effective slot guy if you need him to be. They're both veterans. I just don't see in, like a reason why they wouldn't be signed anywhere. But I think Emmanuel Sanders maybe heading back to New Orleans could be a possibility for third receiver. Cole Beasley, I'm sure, could find him. I think Cole Beasley is one of the better slot guys that we've seen in the league for the past, you know, decade. 
Because, I mean, slot guys, like, normally if you just say, like, a number one receiver moves over to the slot, he's, like, the best slot guy in the league. But there's not, like, a true number of guys that only play that. Well, Cole Beasley is one of those guys. And I think Cole Beasley played his role very well, and I think he was a very reliable target for the Bills. And Unless he's, like, really kind of at the end of his athleticism peak, like, or athleticism in general, I can't see a reason why he shouldn't be on a roster. But regardless, speaking of receivers, <laughs> there's a lot of good transitions here. Julio Jones. Now, I love Julio Jones. I do. I'll, I'll get close. I love Julio Jones. He's a Falcons legend. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Deserves to be in the Falcons Ring of Honor one day. But buddy, it might be time to settle in to some place and just say it's the last year. Like I said, I love Julio Jones. But he was dreadful last year. He just was. The Titans fit just was never there, really. He was hurt a lot, but even then, he just couldn't find his footing. I don't know what he expected, really, in Tennessee. I don't know if he expected it to go as poorly as it did because it, it just wasn't good. It just was bad. I think the Falcons really kind of got lucky that he went and complained on live TV because they got out of a year early of Julio Jones. But it is a shame. Like I said, he's gonna he's gonna get all his flowers whenever he decides to hang it up. Um, but it's it's looking to be possibly that time sooner than later. So I wouldn't mind seeing him get settled in. I mentioned it like the Ravens, the Packers. I think is a possibility. People people have loved putting him in the Packers uniform. I've wanted to throw up, but regardless. But I think Julio Jones being in Indianapolis would make a ton of sense because I mean, he reunites with Matt Ryan and people is like talked about as like Matt him and Matt had beef kind of towards the end. But I, I don't think it was that. I think Julio's beef was more with the organization and the Falcons and how he was treated. And I mean, he might have had a criticism about Matt Ryan's arm, but I think it's a fair criticism because I mean Matt Ryan's getting older. He doesn't have quite as much juice on that arm. But Julio Jones doesn't have as much juice in those legs either. And so I think both, you know, maybe a year apart was better. I mean, I, th- I think they still love each other. I mean, they, I think it's one of those, like, they're one of the most dynamic duos the game has ever seen. Like, seriously, if you look up the numbers, that duo alone is counted for far, far much more stats than your typical duo, like, Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning might be one of those, you know, duos that has done more, but come on, Julio to Matt, Matt Ryan to Julio has been a, one of the more automatic things that we've seen in the past 10 years of the NFL. And so I like that fit a lot, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where Julio Jones could end up and actually be an effective piece. Maybe he wants to go to Kyle Shanahan and, you know, run that back, see if he has a spot for him. I, I doubt it, but you know, And those, are, I think, are the main guys in the NFL. There's a lot of guys in the NFL, a lot of vets who are, like, really notable. Anthony Barr is still out there, and Dominican Sue is still out there. A lot of names that people recognize, and I think will get jobs. Is Like I said, 
teams in these training camps will probably see like maybe this rookie doesn't have it yet. Maybe we need a veteran guy. You'll get your injuries, whatnot. All these things change as time goes on. And teams do sell cap space. So we might see like a third and final wave of free agency here, hopefully, maybe. But until then, I think we've seen at least, you know, a lot of these guys are just, they're just older guys trying to catch on to one last payday probably. So it's fair and we will see where they end up. So there, I think, is a good spot to end it up. Managed to find out a couple good topics, I think, to really put us at a good time stop here. So please make sure to like, subscribe, rate, share with your friends, family, the neighbor, the mailman, you know, random people in the grocery store, um, the gas station clerk. You know, you're paying forty hundred dollars for gas or like gas goes up again, and then you're like, oh no, oh no, I only have cash, I have to go pay the gas clerk. Oh, I hate talking to him, it's like small talk with that guy, I don't know why he's always bothering me, why does he always want to talk about my kids, I don't, I don't want to talk about my kids to the gas station guy, he's selling cigarettes to strangers, why would I want to tell him that? Oh, I have something I can bring up to him, Coach's Corner, my favorite podcast, it's the best. It's the best show I can listen to and get so much good taste and everything. Uh, you know, just, yeah, you know, we never know. Why not? Why not bring it up? So like I said, until next time, goodbye.